0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug, SensCast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir?
1: You know, pretty darn good. Had a pretty good uh, last two weeks. uh, Got a new microphone. Hopefully, y'all can hear the quality there. Proved you wrong about the whole Frosted Flakes thing. Really? Yeah. I'm not the only person who... Eats Frosty Flakes while watching hockey.
0: You know, I think we could probably talk a little bit about that because something did pop up on, through my Twitter notifications the other day, and I believe it came from yourself and a former podcast guest for the show.
1: Yeah, just a little conversation about how that (laughs) dang commercial is good marketing. Like uh, Brandon Mackey was saying that... uh, he was thinking about eating a bowl of sugary ass cereal after watching that commercial.
0: Yeah, remember? Because he was saying something about what is it, the engineering of that commercial must be working because now he's going to eat a bowl of cereal.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I just
0: I looked at that and I was like, oh god, really, guys?
1: The power of suggestion is strong, my dude.
0: It is. It is, and I am very happy to see that Chelsea even sent me a picture uh, for proof. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think there's
1: a. I know this week's episode is going to be about uh, recapping round two of uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs for this year, but I think there's something a bit more interesting to talk about before we get into that.
0: Yes. So before we go any further, Tim, and I'm glad that you brought this up. So we do got to talk about a death, and unfortunately, today is the nine-year anniversary of the Mm. locomotive plane crash that killed the entire team the coaching staff, but not only that, it took the lives of two former Ottawa Senators, Carl Wakunick and Pavel Dimitra.
1: Yeah, it's sad stuff, but that wasn't what I was talking about. Really? Yeah. Uh, were you paying attention to social media yesterday?
0: Uh, yes? So... An image popped up on the Ottawa Senator's subreddit, and it quickly spread to t- Twitter.
1: It's fr- a picture taken from a Canadian tire in Kemptville, Ontario, which is about an hour southwest of Ottawa, just on the 416 there. And it's a photo of a Fanatics version of the new home jersey, or at least we think it's the new home jersey.
0: Oh, this is the picture you were you were referring to. Honestly, I thought you were referring to the locomotive plane crash. But... No, 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 no. Well, I mean that also happened too, but you know we can't forget about that. But no, I do. I did see that picture, and it. I I don't know. I don't know what to think. It looks, a it looks terrible. Like I'll I'll just be very open and honest about that. It doesn't look good at all. Well, it's the to be fair, it is the Fanatics branded version that you
1: get a Canadian tire, so it it's going to look different than the real thing. Those those jerseys always look funky the one thing that I can say about it is they really just kind of... My guess is if this is what the final version of it looks like, they're just going right with what the original jerseys looked like, and I think they look too plain.
0: Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I mean, I even had a look at it, and I was just like, eh. Honestly, I mean, like, some of the the mock-ups online, like, there's the the very well known one of Thomas Shabbat, with it was the black 2D, the O shoulder patch with the white stripe, and I think that honestly would look amazing if they're doing that, but I totally agree with you that Yeah, it does not look very good. It does look pretty plain, and honestly I really hope that's not the final jersey. It yeah. when it comes to But also, why Kemptville? Why Kentville? Um, I don't know. I mean I'm not sure why I to be perfectly honest with you, Tim.
1: Because I know uh, Chelsea and I were talking about it yesterday, and uh, she was like, maybe it, was, it wasn't supposed to go out yet,
0: and uh, it was just a store where the manager and the stock people either didn't know or didn't care. But you know what, though? This is not the first time that the quote-unquote leaked jersey has come out, because I know that there has been stores in the Ottawa area that has carried senator hoodies and hats and whatever with the update updated 2d logo and honestly it just makes me wonder like what is really going on here because we haven't heard anything from the organization about this there hasn't been any formal announcement from the team like yeah we've heard from Haley salivane and we heard from some other people on social media about the rebrand for next season but there's nothing that's come out from the team about this
1: yeah, and the closest I could find anything really official was uh since Chirp mentioned that he's heard uh mention of the Labor Day weekend being when they intended to do the rollout. But even then that just still it's still kinda in that rumor sphere, right?
0: It's true, because if that was the case, it would have been this weekend. Yeah, and we would have seen uh, big old blaring
1: signs about it, not a jersey in Campville.
0: Yeah, that is true, man. That is true
1: and it's the Fanatics version
0: of that. Uh I I know which you know what it is what it is and there, you could definitely tell the difference between when Adidas does it and when Fanatics does it because just look at the shade of red they use on the jerseys. The Fanatic ones are always a lot darker and the actual ones are like a brighter red. Oh yeah. Uh one thing I could say is you could fix that jersey pretty easily by just increasing the size of the crest You could. But, yeah, that's what it is. Then uh, I think I prefer the 3D Centurion and the O to what we're going to get. Yeah, if this is what we're going to end up getting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, we're going to talk a little bit about today's episode because today's episode, we are going to be looking at the 2020 Angel Playoff second round recap slash conference final predictions. So I'm going to start right off the bat, Tim, by saying I did not watch a single game from the second round. Now, keep in Man. mind, keep in mind why, because when we did our last episode, I watched a handful of games and I really hadn't keep on, I hadn't kept tabs on the other series because I had gone back to work, I was in first aid that week, so I had so much to catch up on, so much to recap, and... I hate to say, like, I burnt myself out. I just burnt myself up to the point where I just didn't even want to sit down to watch the games. I was just like, I was so tired. I was just like, I need a bit of a break, and when we come closer to it, then I'll start really closely paying attention.
1: Mm -hmm. Honestly, fair enough. And this round was kind of weird. And I guess the first one is, uh, you know all those game sevens we remarked on just not happening in the first round? Yep. Three really out of four series went to game seven.
0: I know, and three out of the four went from three-one to the seventh game.
1: Yeah, which I don't think I've seen that happen in a conference final before, but then again, conditional probabilities and all that.
0: That's true. I mean, you see the odd series that go to three from three to one to a seventh game, but rarely do you see where 90% to 95% of the series doing that.
1: You know, and funnily enough, the series that
0: we predicted that would go to seven didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why I don't, this is why I suck at doing predictions, Tim, because I don't think I got one prediction the whole way. Right. I think I got the team right, but I don't think I got the series right. Like Vegas, I picked the team right, but not the amount of games. The Avalanche one, I didn't pick Tampa Bay. I picked and the Islanders. I, I, also didn't pick. So I kind of went 500 on that.
1: Yeah, you went 500. Although, I did get the overtime game winner for the Boston-Tampa Bay series. So I'm going to hang my hat on that even if I got the number of games wrong.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good, man. That is pretty good. I'll give you that.
1: cave hole, baby.
0: Yes, he did. So Tim, before we go in talking about the second round, and our, give our predictions for the conference finals, we got to talk a little bit about what we've been up to the last couple of weeks, because, honestly, I don't want to say that the communication wasn't there between you and I, because we definitely talked, but when it came to talking, hockey was not the number one thing that we talked about at all.
1: No. Honestly, I think it was mostly just fun posting.
0: Very fun posting. <laughs> it was pretty good. I mean, honestly... You know, I have to say for myself, like, it is great to be back in the kitchen, working. Or, for those who may have seen my social media post, I'm back in black because I wore the all-black uniforms again. So, I've been, you know, I've been trying to keep busy doing that, all that good shit. And, you know, obviously recapping these series. One thing I did get a chance to do over the last couple of days is I got a chance to play, and I know I'm completely going to butcher the name, Ghost of Tushami for the playstation Tushima. Tushima. so i started
1: it's a hard it's really hard to say if you're not used to making that sort of sound yeah so don't worry about butchering it Uh,
0: i i know but you know me right i hate kind of butchering those days especially for a game that everybody has been really talking up the last couple of weeks since it's been out so i got a chance to play it a bit last night and i have to say like i think it was a pretty fun game you know, I, I still haven't gotten too, too far into it, so I can't really give you a full, like, review what I think about it and all that good stuff. But also, I was doing my fantasy football league draft. I did two of them last night. Nice. And, uh, you remember, remember a while back when we were talking about my story of meeting Bonk's mullet?
1: Did you do it again?
0: This is what happens, folks. When, you know, I have a ball of pink Whitney in the freezer, and I just have a couple drinks, and next thing you know, I'm like six, seven in, and uh, sitting here playing games. I'm like, oh, this is a pretty fun game, and then I'm like, I should probably go to bed. But then I did my second fantasy draft, like four of them in, and it's just like, man, I really suck at
1: this. <laughs> what does your team look like?
0: Well, honestly, like, my team doesn't look too bad, to be perfectly honest. Like, I got some really good players on there. But it was kind of hard because, like, I was drafting 7th. So, yeah, and I think we had... How many guys do we have in our league? I think we had a 10-player.
1: And, like, the snake doesn't even save it, you know?
0: It doesn't. And so for me, it was just like, oh, let's see. I'll pick this guy, this guy, this guy. And then I looked at my lineup like, God, my lineup sucks.
1: I still think my favorite fantasy sports story is uh, I played like an online rando league for NHL back in, I want to say, 09, 010.
0: Yeah. And uh, so we get into the Yahoo draft room and a guy comes in. Guy who was first overall, mind you. Like, into the tap, just drags in, block capitals. Both takes David Booth, and then leaves. And lets the computer do the rest. What? <laughs> David Booth? <laughs> yeah.
1: Mind you, he was in the top 10 that year, off according to Yahoo's draft rankings, because he came off that massive season in Florida. Yeah. But still, I was just like,
0: everyone's like, not Crosby, not Ovechkin, but Booth. I know, and this is uh, 2009, so... Oh, my God, that's brutal. I'm just trying to think, like, who else could you have taken first overall that wasn't Crosby, Ovechkin, Malkin?
1: You could have taken a Kovalchuk.
0: Yeah, you could have taken an Ilya Kovalchuk. You could have taken a...
1: Joe Thornton. Chara. One of the Sedines.
0: Oh, yeah, you could have taken one of the Sedines.
1: Like, there are so many other options at number one instead of... (laughs) But then it just became kind of a running joke in the fantasy league where every week one of us would be like, "All right, time to put Booth in," and just put a play, just put a random ass right winger up.
0: Yeah, watch the drafts like Phil Castle or something next.
1: Oh no, the guy, it was the computer drafting after that. Yeah, but then it was just everyone's like, "Well, we have to follow his lead now." and
0: just. We all burnt our first round picks. Oh, that's terrible. I mean, I can't even picture a world where taking David Booth first overall would be a good idea. Boop.
1: There's not a single one. No.
0: I think the first time I ever played fantasy hockey, um, it wasn't through Yahoo. I think it was just one of these... I can't remember how it was. It was. It might have even been Yahoo. I can't even remember now. It was so long ago. And so I had to pick the players, and I remember at goalie, I had a choice between Luongo and Marc-Andre Fleury, and I picked Fleury over Luongo, and it was the year that the Canucks missed the playoffs and the Pens went to the finals. (laughs) So I came second overall. I think I won, like, 500 bucks. Nice. Yeah. Yep, and I have never done... I never did better than that ever again. Yeah, I know. I. I actually did one with like a bunch of
1: coworkers back when I used to work at UVic. And I think that's the only one where actually like trading actually happened. Yeah. Cause like with the ones with randos, you usually end up losing half the people around week three. So by the time you'd actually want to trade and my buddy, uh, his joke pick was Thomas hurdle. Man, that pissed the rest of us off when Thomas hurdle went off.
0: Oh, was that his breakout year? yeah oh man oh that must have been a huge piss off for you guys
1: yeah cause I can't I think I took like Stefan Robodar or something as my joke pick
0: yeah honestly it would have been a better idea if you'd taken the island instead
1: yeah kidding.
0: so Tim I guess with all that out of the way it's time to turn our attention to the second round recap now because we are based on wait wait wait
1: what? we got one shout out to do And it just came across the wire. Bobby Ryan won the Masterson.
0: Really? Bobby Ryan won the Masterson?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that's awesome. So, yeah, I guess we got to give a quick shout out to Ottawa Senator Ford Bobby Ryan on being the 2020 Masterson Award winner.
1: Yeah, I just got an update from uh, NHL and confirmed on NBC. Bobby Ryan wins Masterson Trophy after returning from alcohol issues. So, massive props to the guy.
0: Man, that's awesome to hear, man. Like, And honestly, I thought that it was a lock for Oscar Lindbaum, because he came back from cancer.
1: I don't know, it's hard though, because like, when you take the full view of Bobby Ryan's struggle throughout his career, you realize that this is something that's started since childhood. And like, the story of Bobby Ryan is a very tough story. Mm-hmm. So I can see it. And I think he deserved to win it.
0: No, I'm super, super happy for him that he ended up winning it. Because, you know, like I said, I thought that Lindbaum was going to be a shoe-in for that given that he was diagnosed with cancer, came back, beat it, and even played a couple of games for the Flyers in the second round.
1: Yeah. But no, good for Bobby Ryan.
0: Yeah. Um. Actually, one thing that just popped up into my mind... Um, there was a rumor that came out And I don't know if you want to talk about it at all So I, I Messaged you yesterday about this And basically the message just wrote Would, P- would the Arizona Coyotes Hiring Pierre Maguire as general manager Be peak 2020
1: It would be peak 2020 that's for sure Was there a rumor of him interviewing?
0: Yes apparently oh, He was well. like one of the top candidates Right now from what I understand
1: And yet, Ron Hextal still doesn't have a job.
0: I know. But in fairness, you know, neither does Garth Snow.
1: True. Actually, yeah. The the Panthers ended up hiring Bill Zito, and that was a really good pickup, I think.
0: I think that's a really... And then, you know what? That's a sneaky good one, because I think a lot of people kind of slept on it, given that when you hear the name Bill Zito, you're like, who the hell is Bill Zito? And then you realize like he worked with... uh, Yarmou Koukalainen in Columbus. And there's a whole video, uh, Griffelix, on on Twitter, on YouTube. He did a whole video about it. And apparently, Bill Zito was a former players agent. And that's how the Blue Jackets was able to get guys like Cam Atkinson and Pierre-Luc Dubois and all these young guys under team-friendly contracts.
1: Well, the other thing, too, is uh, he was the AGM in charge of the Syracuse Crunch. And, uh, that is probably one of the best minor league programs in the NHL right now.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I know that it's, I know you're very disappointed that, you know, San Diego Gulls aren't the tops one, but you know, it is what it is, unfortunately, Tim.
1: Hmm. Oh, and I guess one more personal note for Tim. Uh, this is kind of a bit of a backstory thing, but way back in 1997, uh, Nintendo put out a demo They unveiled a demo at their 1997 Space World exposition for uh, Pokemon Gold. This demo is almost nothing like the the game that actually came out. About a year ago, uh, someone managed to get into the Nintendo servers and they found a copy of the demo. And it turned out within this demo, like they had most of the maps done, and some amount and a large amount of it was reasonably playable. And they also got like a lot of the sprites of the, of the beta forms of Pokemon and Pokemon that didn't make the cut. So around February, someone completed kind of filling in the gaps. So there is a playable version of this completely different game that Nintendo tried to make but couldn't. That's now available, and I finally got around to trying it out. Oh, yeah. And what do you think about it? It's very ambitious. I can see why they didn't do it, because there's no way you're fitting that on a Game Boy cartridge.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, Well, how how big is the game overall, Tim? Because I know you can't, they said they couldn't get it onto a Game Boy card.
1: It's so, I've put about nine hours into it so far, and I think I'm at the halfway point.
0: Okay. So, I was going to say, I mean, even if they couldn't put that on a Game Boy Color card, do you think maybe they could have ported it over to the Nintendo 64?
1: that wasn't the design methodology they were going for at the time. Because kind of the idea for the Pokemon games is that they're pick-up-and-go sort of RPGs. Yeah. So it wouldn't work for the N64 form factor.
0: Yeah, but that was the thing about uh, Pokemon and the N64 was that I know fans for the longest time wanted one of the standard Pokemon games on the console. However, for N64 owners, they never got that. Like, they got a few games that they got pokemon stadium pokemon snap uh puzzle league they got a few games like that but they never got like an actual pokemon game like the ones on the game boy for the n64 Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and i think this is the thing about like the original games even going up to i would say diamond and pearl but they kind of start shifting their focus around ruby sapphires there's this very tight idea of what they want pokemon games to be and a home console wasn't part of that So, like, I don't think that the team who was making red, blue, gold, silver, etc., would have made a strong role-playing game for the N64 that would have worked and been impressive and fun and meeting expectations of a console game because it didn't fit the form factor, it didn't fit their vision. And it's funny because you kind of see that in Pokemon Coliseum the first time they did a uh, kind of well, a more mainline type game for the GameCube. It's an all—it's a pretty good game, but it leaves things to be desired.
0: So Tim, I know that we've been kind of all over the place here in our pre-recap and predictions talk, so we're going to try and streamline a little bit and move our attention over to the second half recap. And like I said, because we're a West Coast-based podcast, that's where we're going to start off. We're going to start from the Western Conference, The Vegas Golden Knights and the Vancouver Canucks. The Vegas Golden Knights took this series in seven games. And you know, before we talk about anybody (laughs) else, before we talk about Vegas, before we talk about Mark Stone, before we talk about the Canucks heading into the offseason, there's one man we need to talk about right now. Thatcher Demko.
1: He He stole three games.
0: Or sorry, sorry, not Thatcher Demko. More like Thatcher God mode a point 895 save percentage, a 0.64 goals against, one shutout, and they lost the series.
1: Well, Van Cooper tried to play rope a dope hockey and it because frankly, they could not keep up
0: with, Vegas. Which is the funny,
1: which is the funny other other to me where it looked kind of close. Was uh, game two where Vegas didn't really come out to play?
0: Well, the funny thing, Tim, is that, and I was when I was watching the recap, is that I could tell Vegas was getting gassed by the end of that series, just by trying to keep up with the Canucks and their speed. And that's when, in the seventh game, and you and I were talking about this, that's when you can see that Vegas, instead of trying to chase them, as soon as the Canucks got the puck, they just swarmed them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing is, is you could tell, like in games five and six there was frustration mounting as Vegas was throwing literally everything but the kitchen sink at Thatcher Demko.
0: It was true. And the, the one thing I was actually very impressed with with Demko in the recap was, and you were talking about this with Jacob Markstrom being so poised in the net. I feel that Thatcher Demko was like that too, because when he got scored on, he didn't throw his arms up in the air. He didn't say, ah, for God's sakes, he wasn't that kind of guy. He just went, okay move on forget about it because like when you watched it a lot of the goals there's not a lot he could have done either mark stone was standing right in front of him there was a tip in front he couldn't catch or something happened that was so out of his control
1: oh yeah well the thing is, is that's kind of downplaying the fact that there was a lot of shots that you would think were out of his control and he still got the damn thing anyway and that's kind of, uh, I think, what led to the frustration on uh, Vegas's part, because they were just throwing absolutely, absolutely, absolutely everything, and Thatcher Demko was coming up with saves he, rightful, most goaltenders, that I'd say even the vast majority of goaltenders, would not be able to come up with.
0: Well, I know even in uh, the seventh game, when Shea Theodore put Vegas up 1-0, like, Demko was still making great save after great save after that, and that was the yeah. one thing I was very impressed with him, and I don't recall if I mentioned this on the podcast. Like, I saw him in his first NHL game when he beat the Blue Jackets. And I remember watching this guy and I was thinking, man, like, this guy's really good. And and I tried to always keep tabs on him with the Canucks because, you know, they have been pumping him as, like, the next starter of the Canucks. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But I do want to turn my attention to the Vegas Golden Knights. And one guy in particular... Our boy, Mark Stone. Two goals, five assists, for seven points in the series. And I don't know about yourself, but am I the only one, when I saw Mark Stone in this series with his long hair sticking out from his helmet, it gave me early 2000s Daniel Offertson vibes?
1: You know, I didn't see it. Really? No. No.
0: Which is funny. I guess
1: it's dark, like it's the dark hair versus like Alfredson's very signature blonde.
0: True, but I mean, if you were to see and they, yeah, obviously hair color is very di- is very different. But when you see pictures of both and their hairs just sticking out from the helmet, the only thing that was missing was Don Cherry referring to Mark Stone as Crusted the Clown.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, no, uh, Mark Stone was dominant in the series. I'd probably say he was probably the best gator on both sides. Although Elias Patterson was flying as well.
0: I know. uh, Oh, Patterson was fantastic. And I really appreciate the one thing I liked about him in this series was that he wasn't just a one-dimensional player. And sticking with him and Mark Stone, when Mark Stone had that breakaway, Patterson came flying up from behind him and stopped him. mm -hmm. And you could even see Mark Stone going, oh, okay, is that not a penalty? Like what?
1: Yeah, and it was interesting because I think outside of uh, Patterson, Brock Besser, and JT Miller, I was not terribly impressed with the Canucks. Well, sorry, and uh, Hughes and Edler, I wasn't really impressed with the Canucks. They were outside of those five. It was uh, open season for Vegas whenever the rest of the team touched the ice.
0: Yeah, which is funny because the Canucks really shocked a lot of people. Pushing Vegas to seven games after being down three to one. And the one thing that I really liked watching the Canucks in this series was that their young guys didn't even look like this was their first playoff experience. You would have Mm -hmm. thought these guys had been in the playoffs before. And one player in particular, and I don't know if you would necessarily agree with me on this, but I feel like one guy who didn't get enough attention for how he's been playing in these series given how guys like Nathan McKinnon was playing and Nazem Kadri and some of the other bigger names was Bo Horvat because Bo Horvat was, I think leading in scoring or goals. I think at one point in I this place, Brock Besser, Brock Besser. No, I thought it was uh, Horvat.
1: Oh, why did I think it was Besser?
0: No, it had to have been Bo Horvat because uh, the commentators mentioned that.
1: Right. Okay.
0: But yeah, Horvat was one of these guys and I think that he's really, really come into his own. Since, A, becoming the captain, but also with his emergence in these playoffs, I think that he's going to be a guy that hockey fans are going to try and keep closer tabs on going forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's fair. I honestly didn't really notice Bo Horvat, But it was just... One of the things that's kind of funny about this series is uh, Thatcher Demko kind of threw his excellent stealing two games, basically let's be perfectly fair, completely overshadowed the work that Robin Leonard did. Three, Four wins, three of which were shutouts.
0: That's fantastic work in its own right. Yeah, it's nothing to sneeze at, but the one thing about Leonard, and especially going into the next series with Dallas, is that I'm starting to notice like his play is starting to get a little bit inconsistent, because when I watch him from the beginning, like, he had a really hot start, he took over from Flurry, and then next thing you know, you're watching him letting in goals, where you just look at it and be like, okay, you know, you, you should have kind of had that on that one. But, I mean, mm-hmm. you can look at the other series in the second round, especially in the Boston series, where you just watch it and you're like, okay, how did that go in? Like, how did you let that one go past you?
1: Honestly, fair, but at the same time, like, this playoffs in particular has been a very compressed schedule. Like uh, Vegas played three and four, and that's why I think Dallas was able to edge out that one nothing victory against Vegas is Vegas did not show up until the last twenty minutes. So Klingberg's one goal was able to stand, and I think that's wearing on the goalies too.
0: Yeah. So one final thing I do want to talk about with this series, Tim, is about the Canucks now heading into their off season Because the Canucks do have some questions that need some answers to. One thing that really came out about this series is that I do think the Canucks have to get bigger. And they do have to get stronger if they want to continue making serious playoff runs from now on. But also with the way that Thatcher Godmode played... You could possibly even see a potential goalie controversy with him and Jacob Markstrom because you watched him in the in that second round and now you're thinking, you know, maybe Demko is ready to take over. And what? how does that put Markstrom in an odd position because he played so fantastic for the Canucks during the regular season. And I guess the other thing that probably is a question is, and I think you and I have already talked about this on the show in the past, like the Canucks... They have to make a decision whether they want to keep Brock Besser or Tyler DeFoley. Well, like, one of the problems that the Canucks
1: have is uh, they have no cap space, and part of that is just a large amount of mistakes that Benning has made. We have Sven Barchi buried, buyout of Ryan Spooner, and honestly, this one is not really. Not all that fair to blame on Benning, but it is definitely his predecessor. Cap recapture on Roberto Luongo, two more years. That's $3 million of dead cap space. There's a lot of dead cap space on the Canucks. Uh, luckily, like Oscar Fattenberg's coming off, coming off, and I think he should be gone. You got one more year of Jordy Bennett, $2 million, and that's probably an overpay. Uh, Troy Stetcher is still... Uf, he's RFA with arbitration, so he's probably cost-controlled for another year or so. Like, yeah, Jake Fertan and Tyler Mott. Those are guys that are coming into RFA. Tyler Toffoli, I'm not sure they can fit him in.
0: Yeah, the, the only way I could probably see him fitting in with the Canucks next season is is if Vancouver can find somebody who will take Louis Erickson's $6 million contract. I think Erickson only has another year or two left on that deal. But we've talked about He has this. an NTC. Oh, a no-trade clause. Oh, shit. Well, Vancouver, you're uh, you're screwed.
1: Well, I, the hard thing it like, I'd be honestly trying to get rid of Jake Eagle or Antoine Roussel.
0: That is true. Actually, speaking of Antoine Roussel, and I was... I'm sure I was talking with you because I was doing some hotel deliveries for work in Victoria for some of the kids coming back to school in quarantine. And one of the RFAs, like she's a Canucks fan. So her and I were talking while we're doing the deliveries and I was talking about Roussel and he was uh, giving Robin Leonard a hard time. And I said to her, I was like, you know what? If this was Robin Leonard of say three, four years ago, Antoine Roussel probably would have been beaten to death by Robin Leonard's goalie mask.
1: Honestly, fair.
0: Yeah, because Lanner probably would have just, just came unglued and just beat him senseless.
1: Yeah. Actually, uh, did you get a chance to see uh, the the Reeves hit in Game 7?
0: I actually didn't. I That's the one hit I didn't get a chance to see. I know that... Oh, God. Uh, who ended up getting hit on that? Um... God's gonna drive me to cut I can see him right now because he got hit but he came back in the game and uh, Mont, Tyler Mott. oh Tyler Mott. yeah yeah cause I know um a lot of people on Twitter especially Vegas Twitter they just came to the conclusion that their series was over right there they said that like there's no way they're gonna come back and win this
1: oh because of the the curse of the game sevens yep yeah, because the game said it, they got another major penalty. But to be fair, this time, they're playing for Pete De beer not against Pete De Beer.
0: That is true. That is true. So I guess maybe that's why Vegas brought him on after Gerald Gerland got fired.
1: Yeah, but like, honestly, I think I agree with the major penalty. I agree with the match penalty. I'm not sure I agree with the suspension. Because, like, the hit wasn't intended to be dirty, but he should have come off. I think five in a game is adequate for that.
0: So, I don't know if you have any more comments you want to make on the Vegas-Vancouver series. And nope. No? Okay, so you just want to head on to Colorado-Dallas?
1: Yeah, this was an interesting series.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. So, the series we're going to talk about is the Colorado Avalanche versus the Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars took this series in seven games, and you know, I gotta give some props to Colorado, because coming into this series, they lost their starting goalie, they lost one of their top defensemen, they were forced to start Michael Hutchinson, and they forced a game seven after being down 3-1. Yeah,
1: like, this was a team that was absolutely carved up by injuries. Although, to be 100% fair to Dallas, they didn't skip a beat from the end of the Calgary series coming into this series. They opened they opened this series with a big statement game, starting with a three-goal first period and continuing to put Puffs in the net even after McKinnon almost got himself a hat-trick.
0: Yeah, and that was the one thing about Colorado that I really liked in this series, was despite how injured they were, the top guys were still producing. Uh, I I want to say Kadri was as well. I can't recall off the top of my head. But one team, in, you know, the Dallas Stars, you got to understand, as beat up as Colorado was, Dallas was fantastic in the series. Their top line produced, the bottom six guys scoring as well. But one guy I really want to highlight, Mir Heiskanen. This guy had a terrific series against Colorado.
1: Honestly, it looked like a young Eric Carlson.
0: I know, and to think that we almost traded Eric Carlson for him too.
1: I, honestly, as much as like Josh Norris and uh, San Jose's pick are fantastic, if we'd gotten Mira it I could almost say that's that would have been almost almost as good or just as good. Like just looking at this guy go
0: that's true that's true and but can you also imagine who would then play top line him or shabbat
1: that's true that's true
0: yeah unless heiskanen wanted to play on the right side with shabbat but i don't know if um, a he's very comfortable doing that but b i think he might also be more suited to playing the left side more than the right
1: honestly fair but yeah so like this was a such a high octane seat. Series like it was blinking, you miss it, scoring
0: it's true. And this was a series that actually was a lot closer than I thought because many of the bounces went for both teams, as we talked about already. The avalanche being injured was a huge factor in this series, but the fact that they were as beat up as they were and still forced a game seven, which sucks for them that they ended up losing in overtime. But you know what? That's just the way it goes sometimes, especially when you're playing, you know, games almost back to back nights for what? The past month.
1: Pretty much. And uh, like the Dallas team, it like as much as people kind of shit on the stars they're not a bad team.
0: They're not they're like not a no, no paper, absolutely. they're not bad. No, they're not a bad team at all, but I think the reason why people shit on them kind of like with the Sharks of 10 years ago was that they always had such high expectations put on them and they never ever Succeeded. They never exceeded those expectations. They always fell so short, despite the talent they had on the roster.
1: That's true. Although, uh, speaking about talent on the roster, uh, did you have uh, Kiviranta as the hat trick overtime winner on your score sheet?
0: No, I also pro- I also didn't have the hat trick for the Dallas over Calgary series either.
1: No. And it's it's crazy how Dallas is getting like these incredible scoring outputs from young guys, but they're still getting they're getting a lot of run out of Jamie Ben Joe Pavelski, Radulov and Sagan as well. So it's not like it's they're just relying on the depth. They're getting scoring from throughout the lineup.
0: It's true. I mean, I think the last time you could probably point to a team that where everybody was scoring was the cup years like 99 2000 when you had you know their top guys like the Mike Madanos, Joe Nieuwendyk's, your Latins but also you had the young guys like uh, Jamie Langenbrunner came in for Dallas and some of the other young guys and Brendan Morrow and well I I don't I can't really say it was the same thing in 2008 when they went on their Western Conference Finals run but Really, I think you have to go back about 20 years to find a Dallas team that was, in fairness, so well-rounded as they are. Honestly, fair. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on the Dallas-Colorado series before we head off into the Eastern Conference?
1: You know, Michael Hutchinson, I think, he played pretty well.
0: He did, and for a guy who basically out
1: of town on a rail yeah
0: he got eaten alive in toronto and you know and we talked about that in our third season about michael hutchinson and we laughed about it because i think one of the games that he got run out of town i think was against us if i'm not mistaken yes
1: we tend to do that
0: yeah that's true i mean he i mean he's not jonathan bernier bad but
1: still bad remember when he was goalie of the future but I digress.
0: You remember when Vesca Toscolo was goalie of the future? Ooh. Remember when Justin Pogge was the goalie of the future? Andrew Raycroft? Remember when they thought trading Rask to town was a good idea?
1: Ooh, ooh, ooh.
0: Although James Reimer turned out to be okay for them. And you mean okay for the Florida Panthers? And okay
1: for the Carolina Hurricanes? Yes. Ride time was another guy run out on a rail.
0: Yeah, that's true, man. Toronto really has had a problem trying to develop a starting goaltender that wasn't Felix Podvan.
1: Yeah, well, Freddie Anderson's been do- doing good enough.
0: Okay, I think when talk about Freddie Anderson, Like, what do you make about all this stuff online that Toronto might be pushing him out the door too?
1: I would not be surprised, although I think at least with Dubas, they would have like, Cal Dubas doesn't seem like the type of person to push someone out the door without a replacement. And I'm not sure Jack John, sorry, Jack Campbell is the replacement yet.
0: No, he's a very serviceable backup, and I'm you know, a pretty good one at that, but I don't know how high a ceiling would be with the Leafs. Yeah. Although I guess it's also sometimes when you have uh, a goalie taken in the first round that goes to people's heads. Yeah, that is true. That is true. But I know that the Leafs are. There's rumors about either Brayden Holpi or Robin Leonard going to Toronto, and I'm just like, really, you're going to be throwing close to what seven, eight, nine million dollars at a goalie when you have Freddie Anderson at five million who took you to the playoffs in the last three years.
1: Well, well, four years, I should say.
0: I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess we can probably move away from the Toronto talk and talk about another team in the Eastern Conference who plays in our division, the Boston Bruins versus the Tampa Bay Lightning. So Tampa Bay ended up taking this series in five games, and I think it's pretty safe to say that Tampa Bay flat outplayed Boston this series. And really... Those
1: games were a lot closer than they looked, though.
0: But it's funny, like, even by the end of it, Boston's veterans just looked gassed. They were just like, oh, holy fuck! Like, I don't. They, I don't think they could have kept up anymore at that point.
1: Honestly, though, I think for the fine, like even for the final game that went to overtime, there it was pretty back and forth. Like, I think uh, a few, di- a few bounces go a different way, and Boston at least takes it to Game Seven. Like one of the things when you kind of look at the shot chart is it's surprising, kind of how balanced it was with uh, both teams having players on either side of the shock chart in most games except for the game two where Tampa definitely came out and just steamrolled.
0: One guy in particular I do want to talk about when it comes to the Bruins is Yersov Halak because honestly I didn't feel he had the strongest of series and this is a series that I watched him in the recap and he led in a couple of really soft goals and I just watched him like Come on, like you coulda, shoulda had that one. But also, on the flip side of that, some of the goals I can't really blame him because there were some tippins in front of the net. Chara didn't completely go down to block a shot; it tipped off a stick and went over his head. And that was the one thing that you know grapes always talked about on those coaches' corners was if you're a defenseman, don't bother blocking a shot with your stick; you get on the ice and block it yourself.
1: Mm -hmm. Although it is tough. Especially because Tampa Bay was getting fantastic goaltending out of Vasilevsky. It is like we're true. We're talking multiple games above
0: .95. It is true. And Tampa's a team that, honestly, this was definitely a team victory for the series. Because, honestly, when I watched it, there wasn't really one player that stood out over the rest. Because, honestly, they got scoring from everybody. They got it from Victor Hedman. They got it from Kucherov. They got it from Tyler Johnson. They got it from Andre Pallad. They got it from everybody.
1: Hell, they got it from Patrick
0: Maru. Yeah, it's going to be tough for Tampa Bay heading to the next series because they don't have Steven Stamkos. But I don't want to be that guy. But honestly, I feel that with how deep Tampa Bay is, I think that they could honestly afford Stamkos going down because honestly, they're they still so loaded. that I don't want to say that they would completely miss him. But he's a guy that losing him would suck, but it won't completely derail their momentum.
1: Well, I think uh, Tampa just has so many guys who can step up that if one or two of them step up even a little, they can fill the hole. But uh, speaking about (laughs) Tampa, I think they've, they've already chased Thomas Grice. Three goals on nine shots.
0: Ugh. So uh, we'll have to see if the Islanders
1: claw back into game one. But uh, it sounds like Tampa is just rolling tonight.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Because honestly, I mean, that that is going to be a very... I think it'll be a pretty good series between them and the Islanders. But, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just a series that... I think that's probably the one series I might follow fairly closely just because of how well Paggio played.
1: Yeah, and honestly at this point part of me wonders which is worth more the Islanders pick staying where it is or getting a third
0: uh and and <laughs> that's a good question because honestly I don't know and with the cap staying flat and with the Senators looking like they're going to have to maybe bring in a dead contract to push them to reach the cap floor maybe that they, if that pick stays right there maybe they can use that for leverage to bring in a dead contract to help us boost it up but they would have to get somebody like an active roster player as well coming back to us too yeah that that's 100% for sure yeah
1: well, it's just such a such a weird thing to think about eh
0: oh it is so weird it is so weird but you know what though i am very happy for Pajo that the Islander fans have embraced him. He's doing fantastic for the team. And heck, if he wins the Stanley Cup, I wouldn't complain. Honestly, yeah. yeah. So just to close out the Boston-Tampa Bay recap. As I was talking about the Canucks, where they have so many questions hanging in the offseason, the Bruins got some, especially on defense, because I don't know if you saw Tory Krug's comment after the series ended, where basically it was basically a, yeah, I, I'll probably hit free agency because I'm at the peak in my career, and I want to play somebody else, somewhere else.
1: Yeah, and it's crazy because he is the highest-paid defenseman on that team too, eh?
0: It's true because Chara was only getting paid a couple of million, a million. Yeah, two million last year, and Chara's another guy. I mean, there's it's more of a, does he, does he not come back for the Bruins for next year? But honestly... If he was to walk away from the Bruins, I don't think the Bruins would be too hurt about it. Because, honestly, they have some young defensemen coming up that could probably take that place. And you never know, right? Like They have guys like Charlie McAvoy. They have some guys in their system right now that could maybe use that and get their spot on the big club next year. Well, what's funny is that most teams have
1: problems filling in their right side. Well, Boston looks pretty set on the right with uh, Charlie McAvoy, Brandon Carlo. It's gonna be that it's gonna be that left side if, the, if uh, Char retires and Tori Krug leaves, that's
0: gonna be the bigger trick to fill in. It, it will be. It will be, but you know what? Maybe the Bruins can probably sweeten the deal with Tori Krug and convince him to stick around if, say, they give him that big extension he wants. But I don't know. Like, I was reading that uh, comment that he made, and it doesn't even seem like he, A, wants to come back, but, B, I don't think he will come back next year. I think he'll be hitting free agency.
1: Yeah. And, like, yeah, that's going to be a big hole for Sweeney to fill in.
0: That is true. That is true, man. Well, what's
1: kind of insane is just, on the Tampa side, I don't think those sorts of questions really exist.
0: Not at the moment, no. But I think the big one for them is in uh, Miguel Sergachev. Because I think, it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I think he's an RFA this coming off season, And it's going to be a huge cap crush to try and get him under contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah,
1: yeah so Sergachev's RFA, but he's not arbitration eligible.
0: Okay, so what? He would basically hit their rights would be held by Tampa Bay until he either signs a contract or he gets traded out of town.
1: That's my understanding, and we'll see if uh, they go the, what a lot of teams are doing and doing the big payday out of RFA or if they cost control. The other thing is actually a lot of, ta- a lot of Tampa's defense are RFA because you've got Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough are basically signed through their careers at 7 million and 6 million, or sorry, 8 million and 7 million respectively. Uh Shattenkirk goes UFA this year. Braden Coburn has two more years. Jan Ruda, Zach Bogosian, and Luke Shen are all UFA. And then Eric Cernak is RFA. And then Anthony Cicarelli, Sorry, Anthony Cerelli is RFA.
0: Yeah, so Tampa's going to have a lot of questions now to answer with their RFA situation this offseason. But at the
1: same time, Mike Condon comes off their books. Their bio their buyout for Matt Carl comes off the books. Luke Shen's not coming back. I, I didn't even, Zach I never
0: even back. realized he was still in the NHL.
1: Yeah, Luke he's Shen. He's their third. He's their third pairing right D right now, and I think he's playing seventh defenseman duty. But yeah, so like a decent amount of money is coming back to Tampa. Actually, they still have one more year of barkley Goodrow. But what's kind of crazy is, like, outside of Sorelli, all of Tampa's big forwards are locked in. And also, can you believe they got Tyler Johnson at $5 million?
0: I can't, to be perfectly honest with you. But then again, you know, you could look at even, like, Look at the Columbus Blue Jackets. You look at the players they have. You're like, how did they get that player for under that amount of money? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah.
1: The only the one thing that is going to be tough for uh, what's dupers Tampa Bay going forward is Andre uh, Andrew is going to be a nine million dollar goalie next year.
0: Man, this is, you know this is going to be a very interesting offseason to see for so many teams now who are in the cap crunch.
1: Yeah, Tampa doesn't have the first either. So that's like a pot sweetener that they can't, that they don't have access to anymore.
0: So Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on this series before we head off into the fourth and final series of the second round?
1: Not really. It's like I expect, I feel that Boston got a bit unlucky, but I'm not surprised Tampa won.
0: No, I'm not surprised Tampa won either, to be perfectly honest with you. But, you know, it's going to be a matter of, can they get past the Islanders now? And obviously we're talking about, uh, they're already up three, nothing. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And when we come back next time to do our episode of the third round recap, we'll definitely talk about it.
1: Yeah. 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 Speaking about the Islanders.
0: Yeah. So speaking about the Islanders, we're going to talk about the fourth and final series of the second round, the Philadelphia Flyers versus the New York Islanders. The New York Islanders ended up taking this series in seven games. So you, once again, you go, i got to take my tip my hat to the Philadelphia Flyers. Because, once again, down 3-1 to the Islanders. They absolutely played like a team. Fought back the force of Game 7. Carter Hart was just out of his mind in Game 6.
1: And then the wheels came off the bus.
0: Yeah, and then the Flyers' offense completely went dead in Game 7. And the Islanders won.
1: Yeah, that Game 6 was crazy to watch, too. Like, if that was a Game 7, I would have been like, oh, money paid, this is awesome. Because uh, you had Philadelphia on the ropes. They managed to put up a lead. New York comes back, but then Philly takes it again, and then New York comes up again. Lawton t- ties it up, goes into overtime, and then Provorov scores a beautiful goal. Like, mmm, Chef's kiss of a game.
0: Oh, so good. So good. And one guy that actually played very well in this series... And, of course, we already talked about Mark Stone for the Vegas Golden Knights. Jean-Gabriel Pajol. Three goals in this series. And the one thing I really appreciated about Pajot in this series is that he had a huge impact on the ice, including a fight in this series.
1: You know, the more I look at this, the more I don't think the Islanders overpaid here. Like, they're getting a lot of good offense out of the guy. we got nine nine points in 16 games. Uh, So at a half a point point per game clip, uh, but just the defensive side of Paggio's game has been fantastic. Like, there's been very few games where pajot has been on the wrong side of the puck, and uh, even if he is on the wrong side of the puck, he has smothered the Islanders when he's on the ice, and that's definitely what you're looking for here. Uh, Actually, another Islanders center and former center that I was actually pretty impressed with was uh, Broussard.
0: That's, exactly, and you know what's funny? That's one guy that, watching that series, I was actually really surprised how well he played in that. Because, honestly, Broussard, I thought, was was a guy who's just at the end of his career. Like, because when he left Ottawa, goes to Pittsburgh, kind of flounders a little bit there, and now he's with the Islanders, and it just looks like his career has revived a bit in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, like, I was not expecting eight points, including, I think, a game winner out of Broussard
0: know and you know given that sticking with the bit of the Sens talk and i don't know if you would necessarily agree with me on this i have to say following the new york islanders in these playoffs they remind me quite a bit of the pesky Sens of the mid to 2010s even in the games where they lost they were not completely out of it like they fought back they tried their best to get into the game
1: well, it's this Islanders team. It reminds me a lot, especially of that 2016-2017 Senators team. Uh, the fact that two of the three center, two of the four Senators are, centers are the same, notwithstanding. A very never say die team, uh, and it plays a very hard systems based forecheck. Uh, I, I definitely would be willing to say that uh, they probably can do it better because I think Barry Trotz is a better coach than Guy Boucher is. But it like they adhere to a system. They play the they play the full full ice incredibly hard. And uh Simeon Volramov is playing his mind out right now. Yeah, I would I
0: would agree with that. I think they've gotten a very strong they've gotten very strong play out of the players they have and uh, they've made it farther than anyone else was thinking. I know, and it's funny because when we traded Fad Joe to the Islanders, like he hadn't even scored a goal when he arrived there.
1: Yeah, like uh those those nine games after the trade deadline were pretty dreadful for the Islanders, and I think if the season wasn't interrupted, that Islanders draft pick probably would have been in the ten to fifteen range. Oh my Just god. Just looking at the win. Oh,
0: that can was you imagine? It. We would have had the third, fifth, and potentially between eleven and fifteen. Yeah. Chef's kiss.
1: But was not to be. But uh, honestly, gotta love when gotta love when things go Pajot's way. And of course, he did post pesky Islanders on his Twitter account.
0: And that's one of the big reasons why I mentioned this pesky sends for the Islanders. Just for that yeah. I have to say though, I really do appreciate Jean Gabriel Paggio's Twitter account because he does have a very funny personality to him, and it's nice to see that within the bubble. That personality is really coming out to shine. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. The ping pong tournament? Hilarious.
1: <laughs> I'm sad I didn't pay enough attention to that.
0: Oh, that was so funny. That was so funny. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up the second round recap, which can mean only one thing. It's time to turn our attention to the conference finals predictions. Now, because you know how great I am at picking series. Only one of these series, I have two predictions. So we're going to start off in the West. The Dallas Stars versus the Vegas Golden Knights. So I have two predictions here. I'm going to say well, that's Stars in five or Knights in six. Because honestly, as I've already mentioned, like Vegas, I think it's no secret. Like they're most likely out of gas at this point after going seven games with the Canucks. Dallas is just producing throughout, is getting really decent goaltending. And the big factor for me is that Dallas has a bit more rest to them than the Vegas Golden Knights.
1: I don't know. I think Dallas is a good team, but I think Vegas is a much stronger team. And honestly, I think kind of the proof is in the pudding here where we had uh, the Knights had played full – like three and four, and they still kept Dallas to one goal. I think catching their breath, even a little bit, going back to an every other day schedule, I think that the rest as a weapon is going to kind of wear off pretty quick here. And I think that uh, Vegas takes this in six or seven.
0: All right. So, overall, uh, what is your prediction for the Dallas Vegas series, Tim? Probably Vegas in seven. Vegas in seven? Okay. So we're going to turn our attention now to the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the New York Islanders. I'm going to go Tampa Bay in six. You know, and that's the thing. As great as the Islanders are playing right now, I just think that Tampa Bay is so deep roster-wise. They have been off the last couple of days, given they went five games with the Bruins. Seven of our long-off will have to continue standing on his head for the Islanders to have a serious shot against Tampa Bay in the Conference Finals.
1: Honestly, yeah, Tampa Bay just has so much goddamn firepower at their disposal, and their defensive depth. depth is no slouch. I think Tampa takes this in six, maybe five.
0: That's a pretty fair prediction there, Tim, I'm not going to lie.
1: And whoever has to play Tampa in the in the finals is going to be in for a world of hurt. Because that's going to be a fast, hard series.
0: It is, but you know what? At least we can't say that it's not going to be an exciting series to watch, though.
1: No, especially because I think both Dallas and it's funny because, like, at least in the West, the four teams—well, three of the four teams that made it to the Western Conference Final semifinals there were very exciting, high power teams. With Dallas just showing that they too could score at will, and like Colorado, as even though they were digged up. They were, they were still getting quality goaltending, even out of Hutchison. And they were, again, putting up points pretty much at will. And then Vegas, if it wasn't for Thatcher Demko, that series would have been done in five.
0: I totally agree, man. I totally agree. So Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on any of these playoff series before we head off to the close for another evening?
1: Honestly, not really, other than... It was good hockey to watch, with maybe the exception of the Vegas series. Like actually watching that series was really, really dull because the Vancouver Canucks were playing rope a dope, and it wasn't even fun rope a dope like the system. It's not even really fair to call it the system. What do you call the one three one a rope a dope system?
0: Uh, well, I mean, I could call one three one. Many things. I don't know about rope dope though.
1: No, because there's actually, like, an active defensive structure there.
0: It's true. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that, what exactly I would refer to that as the three one three one one
1: Actually, you know what? Speaking about Guy Boucher innovations, I think Tampa Bay actually pulled... I think it was Tampa actually played seven defensemen in one of the games in the last series. Oh, they won eleven seven. Yeah, they won eleven seven in one of the games.
0: Oh, that's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. Yeah, so Guy Boucher lives. Yeah, it was game two. They had Hedman, Sergachev,
1: Cernak, Shattenkirk, Boghossi, Coburn, and Shen. Oh, that's awesome. Called Guy Boucher, stupid. It's time to hear your apologies. Well, guys, thank
0: you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording up for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plugs. our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at Great White Gipster. G-R-8-W-I-T-E-Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about our second-round second half second second round recap and conference final predictions shoot us an email thirdly.senscast at gmail.com or if you don't want to do that but you want to be a bot instead head over to our itunes page and give us a five-star rating
1: yeah i forgot that we actually a were on itunes and b had rankings
0: I know. Well, you know what? How much do you want to bet that we're never, we're not getting a 5 star rating after I flubbed, that, after I flubbed the close right there?
1: Honestly, fair. Yeah. Um, but on the other end of that, how did I not know we actually had an iTunes page?
0: I don't know. You know what I'm waiting for, Tim? I'm waiting for somebody in Port Huron to send us an email or a tweet.
1: Yeah. And then we can say that they're a place on Earth.
0: That's true. Just like Devon Alberta
1: did we talk about Devin
0: Alberta previously on the podcast yes yes I, th- I think we talked about it last week or not oh, last nice. week on our last episode yeah until next time guys I am your host Taylor Gibson
1: this has been Tim Jensen
0: go Sens guys